two, one. All engines are started. That looks really good. So we'd like it to uh, stir up your cryo tank. Oh wow, it's going up so slowly. Station, this is Houston. Are you ready for the event? Yes, I'm all set, yeah. Welcome to a special edition of Space Boffins in partnership with the Naked Scientists. I'm Richard Hollingham. And I'm Sue Nelson. And this time we're at the European Space Agency's ESTEC facility in the Netherlands, outside on the main stage in front of a live audience. Let's prove that you are live. One, two, three. It says crowd goes crazy here. Can Uh, we not do that again? Crowd goes crazy. Crowd goes crazy. One, two, three. Yeah, that's better. ESTEC stands for the European Space Technology and Research Centre. So this is where many of ESA's space missions start, where everything from batteries to iron engines to entire spacecraft are tested before going into space. And 2018 is the year of ESTEC's 50th birthday celebrations. Now, by the end of today, 12,000 people will have walked through those security gates, past the lines of colourful flags belonging to ESA's member states, and possibly, as we can see in the audience, a few members of Star Wars as well. And that's thanks to uh, Rosetta Project scientist Matt Taylor, who I know is in one of those Stormtrooper outfits, because we just said said hello to him. But you have to go around and ask each one, are you Matt Taylor? (laughs) That's what you have to do the rest of the day, are you Matt Taylor, to every Stormtrooper you see. Now, when ESTEC opened back in 1968, only the US and Russia had astronauts. Well, just under a year ago, ESA astronaut Paolo Nespoli returned to Earth from the station after spending 139 days, five months in space, and it was his third mission, which means he spent over a year, 313 days, orbiting the planet. Let's welcome Paolo to the stage, please. Yay, now it's your time, Paolo. I don't know whether you know, Paolo, I did the launch commentary for the European Space Agency for both your last missions. Yeah. Lucky. Do you want to hear a bit? What were you? It's really good. (laughs) Okay, let's hear it. Let me just play a little bit of it. Absolutely spectacular. The launch of Soyuz MS-5 carrying Italian Easter astronaut Paolo Nesmi's Vita mission to the International Space Station on board the source. When I'm doing those, and I've done quite a few now for the European Space Agency, it's terrifying. And they always assure you, the Russians always assure you it's all going to be fine. It's all very stages. That's what they tell us too. (laughs) So I'm watching, I was thinking, you know, I really want this to go right, and I've got to think what I'm going to say if something happened, if the ejection system operated or something like that happened. What is it like for you at the top of that spacecraft? If you're sane in your mind, you actually figure out you're sitting on a mini atomic bomb (laughs) that it's about to explode in a control manner, hopefully. And as a result, your part of the spacecraft is going to be thrown in space, and you are inside it. So if you think about that, it's like, mm, okay, that's a good, it's not a good idea. <laughs> but at the end, this comes after years and years of training. You have done a lot of simulation. You have seen the system. So you are very, very confident that everything goes well. I, I, I have no doubt that everybody who has worked there uh, did his best, and... The rocket is ready, everything is ready. If there is some kind of, uh, you know, attention or some kind of thing, it's, it's on me. Because I know I'm one of the parts of these uh, systems and I need to work 
in a good way. So I'm more focused and concentrated on what I'm supposed to do and be a good part of it. What do you feel when you're coming off the launch pad? Do you actually feel no, that what, what way? What I'm saying is that we've done a lot of simulations and simulations are most like games because uh, it's you against the instructor, so the instructor's against you. And at the beginning, they kill you so easily, you know, <laughs> because you, something happened and you're like, huh? <laughs> what am I supposed to do here? Okay, page 23. No, page 27. So you have uh, all sorts of discussion and boom, you're blown up. So this is the beginning. And then it gets to a game where the instructor really tried to kill you and they are not able to. That means you are ready. I flew on the space shuttle the first time, and the space shuttle... It's got like, solid boosters, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, so like, it's like you're sitting like that, solid rotor booster, lift up, and you're... Oh, my God! And everything shakes and everything. The Soyuz, it's very, very soft. You know, it's like, three, two, one, and uh, liftoff. And we're like, liftoff? Are we, are we gone? Are we going? Are we sure? Because it takes... I mean, it's, it looks like it's dancing on the, on the launch pad. It looks like it's going like, oh, like this. But then, you know, then it accelerates pretty much, and then... The, the, the end of the Soyuz is much more brutal. Re-entry is a completely different thing. I always tell that the shuttle re-enters more or less like a commercial vehicle. Uh, not exactly, but, you know, comes down like this, and then it lands. So it swoops down, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> no, no, this is true. This is true because it doesn't have any engine, and, and it needs to land exactly there. So the, the shuttle needs to land in a specific place, plus or minus 100 meters. And you start in the other side of the world. You don't even know where things are. So it has a lot of energy. doesn't have any engine. If it's too low, you're going to crash. If it's too high, you're going to go on the other side. So, so what you do, you have enough energy there. What they do, and I have to land there, and, and I don't throw away this energy, but then I see it's too much. So I do like this. Then I come back. So for listeners, and then I um, check Paolo again. is just sort of circling the stage. Well, at the you just, you <laughs> just do a, a kind, of, a, kind of an S. G- gently banking around in, a, yeah, in S shape. Exactly. In, in a blue flight you make suit. It, blue flight you make suit. it as wide as, as to have enough energy to actually go there. So this is what you do. And it's, you know, the shuttle actually does that. So it so flips if, almost if you over. Are going to, as you've just beautifully performed for us on stage, what it's like. If you are going to perform what it's like coming back in a Soyuz, would you just stay... But dive bomb onto the, the <laughs> well, concrete yeah, floor. Prefer, in here, exactly. To perform on the on the soil, you probably have like this and go down with your head <laughs> and dive in there. The only thing is that the, the soils I describe it as a series of catastrophic events that happen in uh, in a quick succession, and uh, every one of them is like thinking, "Am I dead? Are we dead? Are we? Are we? Are we are we it's it's, it's still going or something?" Uh, and then there is the last event which is actually the what the russian called the soft landing which is equivalent to you being in a small car on a freeway and a truck in the other side coming towards you uh, at uh, full speed and then eventually you smash one into each other that's the soft landing if you ask the russians and you say soft landing that was not soft at all and they look at you and they say are you alive? That was soft. <laughs> that was soft. Yep. Because if not be soft, you're not alive. After all, you you're coming back from space. So, and it's it's a little bit rough to tell you the truth. One of the, my American colleagues, I like his uh, his um, descriptions. Very short description. Medieval reentry. That's what he called it. So. Medieval reentry. Uh, do you start, start dreading that? I mean, you've been in space for six months or so. Up on the space station, floating around, you've had this total freedom. Do you dread getting back in that spacesuit and into that Soyuz, knowing, particularly knowing you've done it before, what it's going to be like? 
Well, no, it's not. I mean, again, you, you start from the point that it's not going to kill you. It's going to be interesting. And you're going back to Earth. There is no way out. Uh, it's true. The space inside the Soyuz is very, very, very small. You know, especially after you've been on the space station where there is not that much space, but you float around and you do things. And then you, you go into the hatch. It's about 64 centimeters. You go into this thing and it's like, I cannot fit in there. There's no way I can fit in there. And actually, a lot of my American colleagues, they are about this size. They look at me like, how can you fit in there? I cannot fit. So Did, actually, on that, is it right they adapted the Soyuz for you because you were so tall? Uh, yes and no. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, uh, let's say that the Soyuz is built so that the seeds are some kind of uh, little aluminum bathtub. Uh, that, that you go in just like that. And then they have to build around you some kind of cushion with special foam, and they do it on your side. So when you go in, you are in there, and you cannot move because you, otherwise you get injured. So they make that for everybody. Mine had to be stretched a little bit because I could not fit. If, I, if that would be normal, I could not fit. So they did a slightly special one oh, for me. But it's, it's interesting. You come there from the station, it's like, it's not me. Everybody's like, I cannot fit in there. There's no way. I mean, you have to think the size, the volume is the space of a back seat of a small car. You put three people in there and there, are no, there is no space for your legs. So you're sitting like this and, 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 and you know, you're coming back from Earth. At the same time, you know, it's, it's, it could be claustrophobic. You know, few, for a few seconds, I have to say, I go in there and I strap myself and like, breathe, breathe. Normally, it's okay. Then you get back to the training. You see the panels, the switches. And strangely enough, you feel safe in there. I mean, I feel safe because I know that outside, I would die. So you don't <laughs> want to go outside. And, and you thank God that you are in this cocoon inside that is going to take you back to Earth. It's going to be interesting. But uh, hey, you know. Well, you've done three missions now. Um, before we speak to our next guest, and we'd yes. like you to stay on stage and contribute as, as, they, as they speak as well, which of your three missions would you describe was your favourite? Oh, that's difficult. I mean, well, the, the first mission was a short-duration mission, 15 days on the space shuttle. That's a, that's a very strong and quick mission. Every minute counts. You're running, running, running. We did incredible things. Move uh, a module. We had an emergency with us. Uh, we had to do an emergency spacewalk. So we did a lot, a lot of things. So that was really incredible. But then, you know, the, when you go on a long-duration mission, my first long-duration mission, you really, you really have to adapt to microgravity. You know, the shuttle, 15 days, you don't sleep, you don't eat, you don't... Ah, who cares? 15 days, you're back. It's like a camping, you know, you tolerate because it's a camping. But when you do a camping for six months, you better figure out how things are. The tent needs to be here because when it's going to rain, you don't want to be swept over. The water, I mean, this kind of thing. So this is what happened. You become an extraterrestrial person when you are in space for a long time. You need to adjust. You cannot work for four, five, six weeks before you actually figure out that, you know, things work in a different way. And this is an incredible feeling. So... I and mean, all of those missions have their own uh, characteristics. I would really wish that everybody can go in space. So do we. Because, uh, because uh, uh, trying or, or floating in microgravity is an incredible feeling. And the capability of looking at the Earth from there is just uh, incredible. Everybody, I think every human being that goes to space 
becomes a better extraterrestrial person. I mean, a better <laughs> earthling. You know, becomes an extraterrestrial guy, but then a person. Yeah. And then it's a better earthling. So I wish everybody would go there, yeah. including me. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go again? Yes, because now if I go the window, I hear from Houston, Paolo, go back to work. You know, <laughs> I want to be like a tourist. I want to be at the window looking down and nobody bugs me. <laughs> um, guess, I think it's a fairly easy question for you guys here at uh, Eztec. Who wants to go into space? Oh, yeah, pretty much everyone. Yeah, pretty much everybody. Who yeah. wants to come back from space in a Soyuz? Not so many. Yeah. Not so many. Yeah, there is no choice. There is no choice at the moment. It's no. fine. It's, no. it's okay. It's a good it's ride. It's okay. You won't die. Yeah. It, it's a soft landing. <laughs> believe me. Yeah. Well, for the time being, let's say to uh, he'll still be with us on stage and we'll still be talking. But just for the moment, let's say thank you very much and a big Ooh. cheer for thank his astronaut Paolo Nespoli. Yeah, he's about to come and sit yeah. down on one of those. Uh, you can see pictures of today's event, by the way, via at Space Boffins on Twitter or Space Boffins Facebook and Instagram accounts. You might not associate grassy banks with the coast. It is a bit like stepping abroad for a second. Well, I'm here on the Ningaloo Reef, take people swimming with whale sharks. Just another day at the office. Yeah, just another day at the office, mate. I have you loud and clear. <laughs> oh, hello. 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 Welcome. <laughs> The Naked Scientist podcast takes you to the science topics you need to hear about. Physics, medicine, nature. Keep up to date with what's going on in the field. First this week, the announcement from LIGO. And find out the answers to every question you never thought to ask. What kills more people, sharks or selfies? To subscribe, search Naked Scientist podcast or head over to our website. You are listening to Space Boffins and if you're here at the European Space Agency's SDEC facility, you're looking at us as well, for which I can only apologise. Look, we made quite an effort this morning. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm sure many of us are concerned about the pollution of uh, the oceans by plastic. And unfortunately, in space, litter is also a problem. Well, last month, a British satellite called Remove Debris was deployed from the International Space Station. And in what sounds a remarkably low-tech demonstration, it used a net, a net, like a fishing net, to actually capture a deliberately released target. Um, but this method could actually be used to help reduce space debris. But uh, it's a more serious problem than that, of course. And Luisa Innocenti, who is the ESA's head of Clean Space Office, she's got some innovative ideas about how to deal with space debris. So please welcome Luisa Innocenti. Right, there are supposed to be about 7,500 tonnes of space debris. Now, what sort of unwanted items are we talking about, from the big to the very small? We have been launching since 1957 some 5,000 uh, satellites, and uh, most of them are up there, and some have also exploded, becoming small debris. Some have collided. So we have a full range of debris from 10 tonnes, down to small centimeters. As is, we own one of the big ones, even though we own very. Is this uh, Envisat? That's Envisat. That it's Envisat. A seven ton. It's a eight tons actually satellite. So it's one of the big pieces. And it's the size of a double-decker bus, Envisat. That's uh, a, that I think a big it's piece. even two 
Two one, the, oh meaning goodness. that there is one which is the satellite, but then behind it you have a solar array, which is another bus. So it's two bus connected wow. together. Wow. It's an enormous piece of debris. And because of that, it's extremely challenging to catch it and bring it back. Now, I'm sure many people will have seen the film Gravity, where um, it, it, I mean, it was... Ex- incredibly thrilling but it did show the danger is that realistic is that a realistic depiction of what could happen to something like the international space station if there was a satellite explosion and you got debris in the right orbit uh, not completely oh. what is not uh, realistic is the speed at which it happens uh, it, it would be a much smaller process if you want while there you see everything going everywhere and you cannot protect yourself this uh, space station is actually protected for small uh, debris and in case of big debris we can tell the space station something is arriving move out and actually i asked paolo once before his last mission are you afraid of space debris and he told me no is it true you're not afraid of anything Paolo. oh yeah no this is not true is that uh i i mean as Luisa already said, the space station has a shield, a debris shield. Of course, if you get a big piece of uh, of junk, which, by the way, is not a banana peel. We don't throw out the banana peels out of the window. Uh, pieces of metal, those, uh, you cannot stop them. But that small parts. And by the way, it's interesting. On the space station, if you sit at the cupola and you look down... You see meteorite and everything that passes under you. Really? Yeah, you see the oh. you see the shooting star under your feet. By the way, and actually during the mission, I was taking a time lapse, and we saw a pretty big meteorite coming not far away from the station. So you you see that something is there, and if you think about it, it's like. Mm. But at the same time, space station has been there for what, fifteen years more. And we never had any major debris. They tell me when they go outside, it's full of little dots or little holes, but nothing penetrated the station so far. So I'm not there thinking about this. Yes, I think that astronauts are very courageous people anyway. They got on board of a a rocket and they fly uh, fly off. Uh, Me, I would be scared. (laughs) Now, what you're trying to do, though, is something um, quite innovative here at at ESA in that you're thinking of how to send spacecraft up differently and rethink. So what do you want to change? Uh, The the problem is that in the past, when we launched, we never thought about what do we do with the satellite when it dies, when uh, the propellant is depleted. And uh, so we have abandoned them there. Now, we need to change the way we design our satellite. Like, we need to think since the very beginning, the design, how do we handle the waste, if you want. And because of that, we are developing uh, several (laughs) technologies to change materials inside the spacecraft so that when the satellite comes down, it will burn more easily. To have some device to make them re-enter, move away in an easier way, like the drug sale, which will make them float away and or uh, some device which will help us to disconnect the batteries from uh, the solar array because um, in space the environment is very uh, harsh if you face the sun you go hot if you don't face the sun you go very cold now uh, when a satellite is dead you do not control the thermal environment any longer so it gets hot and so the batteries explode like any sometimes our phone, Mm -hmm. and you are not allowed to take them on the plane. The same way, satellites can explode and have been exploding and are still exploding in space, creating more debris. Because the problem is that 
in space, even a small debris uh, is dangerous because it travels at a speed which is 7 kilometers per second. Now, 7 kilometers per second doesn't say a lot, but it basically means you do 1,000 kilometers in three seconds. So I check, you go from here to Bordeaux, and I check Britain. Great Britain is shorter than one kilometer. So you go from top to bottom in less than three seconds. So that's, that's the speed. That's basically a speeding bullet going uh, right through. Exactly. Even speed. faster. So it makes your satellite explode. So you want to basically make more materials for spacecraft um, sort of green in a way. Reusable maybe, more friendly, more sustainable. And you're thinking of how you dispose of them as definitely, well. Definitely. It's a long-term goal. We should not dream to change from one day to tomorrow. But uh, you, you start with small step, and then we want that space as well contributes to keeping our environment cleaner, both on Earth and in the space, for sure, because we need it clean. Well, it's an incredibly worthwhile and, and, a, and a technology in terms of it's very innovative as well, a very it innovative is. approach. It is. Luisa Innocenti, thank you very much indeed. A huge hand, please, for Luisa. Thank you. Issa's Head of Clean Space Office. Uh, before we get to our next guest, Paolo, I just want to ask you about, you're not worried about space debris. Um, what about the future of the space station itself? What, there's a lot of debate at the moment about what should happen to it. What do you think should happen to it? Can it stay there for a long time? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I talk not as an ESA staff member, as, as, a, as an astronaut. I think the space station is an incredible achievement for humankind. Um, it has allowed us to do uh, years and years of experiment that we cannot do if we would if we would not have the space station. It's just a pity to quote unquote throw it away or deorbit it. At the same time, space station is very complex, costs a lot of money to maintain, and uh, and so it's a it's a good uh, it's a good it's a good riddle on how to solve this one. I I, I think we should uh, we should find a way to. To keep it up, maybe use it as a commercial base if we find somebody able to take it. But it's like, you know, I say if somebody comes to me and say, Paolo, I give you Windsor Castle just for free. You just maintain it. I don't think I can take it, uh, you know, as well, much I as I it. want. You take it? Yeah, yeah well, you just have to yeah, maintain yeah, it. How much? It the Queen's got too many homes. Oh, yeah, okay. So, so I think it's a little bit like that. So, but but it, it's amazing how I've been on the space station. I just came back in December. Space Station has been up for 15 years, and it looks almost brand new. I mean, I cannot see any sign of, uh, of anything. I mean, it's an incredible laboratory. It would be just a pity just to, to let it go. Is it smelly at all inside? Inside? I've always imagined that it's no. a bit smelly. Well, so the short answer is no. Uh, That's the, not what other astronauts have told me. <laughs> well, it depends who you ask. If you ask the Americans and you ask the... The, the short guys, the, short, the, the guys that fly on the shuttle, they say something different. But, but so the, the, long, the long answer, since you're now pinging me, is that, <laughs> is that uh, there has to be inside the station a continuous circulation of air. Because, because if you breathe, you consume all the oxygen around you and you can die. So the air has to be continuously changed, mixed and everything. And the environmental control and life support system, ECLES in short, assures that the air circulates very quickly, is clean and comes back clean. So if by any chance you hear some, you feel some, some smell, it goes away in a matter of seconds. And, and the background smell, the one that stays there, you don't feel it, I don't feel it. I actually feel sometimes, you know the, 
the, the smell of uh, uh, under, after a thunderstorm or clear hair, you get that one, which is pretty it's good. Ozone, ozone sort of smell. kind of ozone, ozone clean. Uh, nice smell. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. Right. Well, we need to move on to our next guest now. So yeah, you so take it away. One of the great things about the uh, ESA Estec Open Day is you can get a glimpse of the sort of work that goes on here. Whether it's the enormous clean rooms with spacecraft in, the testing facilities, or all the other labs you see. We mentioned at the start of the podcast this is a place where missions often begin, and uh, our next guest is working on. Some of those new mission concepts. So uh, please welcome to the stage here at Eztec, Eztec trainee aerospace engineer Marta de Oliveira. Hey! Did I get your name right? You did, really. More or less, more or less, yeah. okay. Um, now you're working on a, vis- a mission to Venus. That's right. What, what yeah. is Venus like? So for our astronaut here, what would it be like for him going to Venus? Given that we've already had this description of entering the Earth, what would that be like at Venus? Well, that would be a bit hellish for Apollo. Yeah, it has like some, some very similar characteristics, ball characteristics and uh, size and location. But then on the surface, it reaches up to 474 uh, degrees and uh, 92 atmospheres. So the, the pressure he would feel on the surface would be like be uh, deep beneath the sea here on Earth. So deep, so deep, but this this hellish atmosphere. Why why is it like that? Because it's it's not. It's a similar size to Earth, isn't it? Right. They had the completely different evolutionary uh, geological paths, and uh, uh, the atmosphere on Venus is mainly composed by uh, carbon dioxide and uh, sulfuric uh, acid clouds. So it's quite a different composition. Yeah. And you're figuring out a mission to go to Venus. What are you hoping to do there? So uh, not, her, not, her not with personally. humans, not with you, not with you personally. Yeah, no. it's, it's not a manned mission. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> uh, it's an orbiter mission. So basically, following up on the on the steps of a previous ESA uh, uh, mission, uh, Venus Express. So uh, to to study the current uh, geological state of the planet and its relation to atmosphere. Uh, also, ha- get a, a bit more knowledge on the interior of the planet, and uh, to get. Improved uh, radar image from what we had, for instance, from um, the Magellan uh, mission in the 90s, the American mission. Um, we'll e- even uh, locate from orbit the, the Russian landers that were sent during the 60s and 80s, which is actually something that surprises people a lot, that there were all these uh, Venera and Vega series. Uh, uh, so the these, these robotic probes have actually landed on Venus? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And the, they actually still appear like five to be brighter than the rest of the surface, so it's uh, a pretty good uh, way to target them from orbit. Yeah. Now, this mission is called, or one of the three uh, concept missions is called N-Vision. Yeah, exactly. If yeah. that was selected, yeah. would you want to work on it? Because I know your PhD yeah. also studied Venus in quite detail, didn't My you? Master, yeah, Ma- master. Oh, thesis, sorry. Yeah. Master, <laughs> yeah, master, uh, yeah. uh, no, absolutely. I mean, it's already a privilege to be in, you know, get to be involved at this stage. And it would be yeah, a lifelong dream to continue to support it. Yeah. And in terms of, of Venus itself, I mean, what can we learn from Venus? I mean, it's obviously interesting to learn about planets, but can we learn anything about Earth from Venus? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It could actually help us, uh, you know, understand a bit better, you know, how these completely different, radically different evolutions happened and to see if we would ever be in that sort of uh, no return, you know, scenario for, for Earth. And also it's a pretty good uh, comparison basis for exoplanet character, characterization. For any so that's that spotting is. other planets yeah. out there somewhere. Exactly. No. 
Thank you very much indeed, Marta de Oliveira. And we've come to the end of our Space Boffins podcast now. Uh, we're supported by the Atrium Space Insurance Consortium and we're in partnership with the Naked Scientists. But we'd especially like to thank Space Rocks, the European Space Agency, and of course, Estec here for allowing us to come and share our podcast uh, with you. You can find us on iTunes, Acast, and uh, Naked Scientist website. and uh, Pretty much everywhere. So you can let's find us. give our guests, if you'd all like to come forward, a big thank you to Marta de Oliveira, our trainee aerospace engineer. We have Luisa Innocenti, who knows all about. Debris. Space debris, I know that. I'm just going, rubbish. She's our rubbish expert. And um, a certain little astronaut at the end there. Uh, a big thank you to astronaut Paolo Nespoli. And that's Space Poppins. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>